Welcome to this podcast from the Bay Church. We hope you're blessed by the message. To find out more, please visit our website at www.the-bay-church.org.uk. But as Paul said, we're going to look at uh, another core value today, which is, we have three main core values, and that, that is love, presence, and power in this church. And we're, we're at the moment, we're, we're working our way through, and we're under love looking at the core value of love and specifically today we're going to look at what it means to belong what it means to belong to God what it means to belong as as the body of Christ and what it means to belong as a church (laughs) so just to annoy my husband (laughs) (laughs) because he absolutely hates it when you take a word and you break it down to mean something that it doesn't actually ever originally mean. I wanted to look at the word belong. (laughs) This is not the etymology of the word belong. I just say that. That's why it annoys Jez. It's like intimacy, into me you see. That annoys Jez. I find that really helpful. It's like beautiful, be you till full. Beautiful, be you till full. That really annoys Jez, because it doesn't mean that. So, belong. What does it mean to belong? I looked at it and I was like, be long. What does it mean to be long? To go um, with a sense of, of we're here to, to go all the way, to, to have a longevity about us, to be um, a people who, who have, leave a legacy because they go long. What does it mean to be long? I wonder if you need to belong in order to be long interesting thought and then I remembered the African proverb that says if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far go together if you want to be long you need to belong (laughs) my mum's breakdown of this word my mum and dad are here today which is lovely to have them Um, but my mum's breakdown of this word was in us we we all want to belong we long to belong to God First and foremost, we long to belong. And when we belong, we just get to be. (laughs) We long to belong. And when we find that place of belonging, we get to be. Yeah, that that annoys Jess. (laughs) (laughs) Brenny Brown is a, a renowned research professor studying people. She looks at um shame and vulnerability and um, courage and various other topics. And what she says is that there is a deep sense of love and belonging, an irreducible need. So, so a deep sense of love and belonging is an irreducible need of all people. We are biologically, cognitively, physically and spiritually wired to love, to be loved and to belong. And when, we, when those needs aren't met, We don't function as we're meant to. We break, we fall apart, we numb, we ache, we hurt others, and we get sick. You see, we're called. There's something inside of us that needs to belong. And that's why it's one of our core values. So what what do I think belonging means? This This is what I wrote down. Belonging is knowing whose you are even when you're alone. 
It's daring to be totally real, authentic, and vulnerable, knowing you're loved and accepted as you are, because you're known. Belonging is you're known. It's a realization that connected, you can accomplish far more than you could alone, and therefore, you have a role. See, belonging looks like you have a role. It's realizing that your connections are far Im more important than any task to accomplish, and that belonging is far more important than doing. Belonging gives you an identity, it provides a safety, it speaks to your core innermost being and says you are a part of something that is far bigger than you. So you are needed. Belonging says to you, you are needed. When you know whose you are, you know who you are. And you can call others into that same place of identity. Because true belonging invites others to come and belong to. Without comparison or competition. It's not needing to change who you are to fit in. It's not needing to all agree or look the same to have unity. Agreeing isn't a prerequisite of belonging. <laughs> the whole is greater than the sum of its many parts. And together, as I bring my strengths and weaknesses, and you bring yours, we fit and we're one. That's what I'm talking about this morning. That's my understanding of what it means to belong. And you'll probably um, think to yourself, wow, Nick, I've heard you speak a couple of times in church. Just for my benefit, how many people heard me talk about covenant um, when I spoke on relationship? Okay, maybe half. Okay, so we'll do a really quick recap of covenant because... Because what you'll learn with me is that actually this, all of these things are interconnected. Relationships, when I spoke the first time in church, I was talking about relationships and connecting with one another and what does that look like. Um, and I talked about covenant. Do you remember I had, a, I had a sheep farmer and a cow farmer? And I talked about those two farmers coming together. They wanted to be sheep cow farmer, not individual sheep farmer and cow farmer. So they ended up cutting a covenant with one another. This is how, what it used to look like to make a covenant. And the sheep farmer took his best sheep and he, he uh, killed it and cut it down from its nose to its tail, cut it down the middle and laid it down. And the cow farmer brought his cow and he cut it down the middle and laid it down. And, and in between those two animals was a, was a river of blood. And the sheep farmer stood on the one side and the cow farmer stood on the other and they crossed the river onto the other side. Basically saying, you have permission to do to me what's, what we've just done to these animals if I break this covenant with you. <laughs> That's a happy thought. They exchanged, they would exchange robes. They would say, my identity as a sheep farmer is now your identity. And the cow farmer would give him their robe and he would say, this is your identity. They would switch robes. They would take off their belts, and in their belts there, was, there were weapons that they would use to defend themselves. And they would give the, 
the belt to the other person and they would say, I don't have the right to defend myself against you anymore. I give you my weapons that I would use and I trust you to, to defend us together. You see, we, we are now one. We have cut a covenant. What they would do was they would, um, they would get a, a glass of wine they would cut a little scar on, them, on, on themselves or on, on their hand and they would drip a bit of blood into that wine. They would mix the blood together and then they would drink that blood and they would say, this, our blood is forever one and I'm taking that on board to remind myself that we're one. You see, the reason why that history of covenant is so important is because Jesus came. <laughs> Jesus came and cut a covenant with us. And if we don't understand this idea of covenant, we'll never understand the idea of belonging. Because it's so much more than Jesus dying so that we can go to heaven. So much more than just knowing that he died because he loves us and then we can go to heaven. It's understanding that Jesus cut a covenant with us. And his desire was that we would be one with him. That, we, that, that it would be Christ in us, the hope of glory. You see, those, that sheep farmer and cow farmer <laughs> would forever not be seen as sheep cow farmer. They would forever be, uh, as individual farmers, they would be sheep cow farmer. They were one. They had a new name. You see, Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, was celebrating a Passover meal with his disciples, <laughs> celebrating the fact that God had led the people from slavery into freedom. And in that Passover meal, there would be seven glasses of wine. And the seventh one was about remembering that the Messiah was coming. And when Jesus got to that point in the, in the Passover meal, he picked up the glass of wine and he said, I'm making a new covenant with you. He said, it's my blood. Do this whenever you drink it. Do you understand the covenant language? what he's saying to us. You see, it's his scars that we see that's the covenant that he's made. It's his robes of righteousness that he gives us. He's given us his identity. It's phenomenal because I always, I love the, the comparison with, with marriage as well. I love, I love the fact if you, if you look at marriage, it's, it's a covenant relationship. You cut a covenant literally when you make love for the, for the first time with your uh, spouse, um, you cut a covenant with them. That's the way our bodies are designed. We shed blood at that point. And you go through a, a ceremony of covenant by saying, all that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. I always laugh at that bit because when, when I said that in my marriage vows, I actually laughed because the only thing that I had to give to Jez at that point <laughs> was a student loan. <laughs> I, was, I was a student that had just finished uh, university and all I had was debt. He'd been working for six years. He had a car and, and money. And he's like, all that I have, Nick, I give to you. All that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. And I'm like, yeah, me too. Here you go. <laughs> and I often think about that because actually that's what Jesus is saying. We're in debt. We have nothing yeah. to give to him. Yeah. And he goes, all that I am, I give to yeah. you. All that I have as the heir of God, I share with you. I become one with you. 
heard a story this week about um, a pastor and his wife who decided to adopt a little girl. Unfortunately, this little girl had been adopted previously and the adoption hadn't worked out. And they found out that, um, through sort of chatting to her, that uh, this, this little girl every year in her previous family had wanted to go to, to Disneyland, in Disney World in Florida. Um, and it would get to the time the family would go, were going to Disney World every year, and about a, a week before they were due to go, the father would say to this girl, no, you've not behaved well enough, you don't get to go. So she had to stay behind as the rest of the family went off to Disney World, she stayed behind. So this, this pastor and his wife, when they heard this story, they were like, oh, we need to go, we just need to take her to Disney World as a family, so she, needs to, she needs to go there. So they set about preparing and planning and, and uh, getting ready to go, and about um, a month before they were due to go, suddenly this adopted girl's behavior changed, and she began to press every button in the book that she could think of. She began to kick off like you'd never seen a child kick off before. The father sat her down and said, what are you doing? And she said, does this mean I don't get to go? And the pastor said, everything within him wanted to say, unless you change your behavior, you know you don't get to go. But he said, no, you're part of my family. We're going together. So next couple of weeks, and her behavior does nothing but get worse. She starts hurting the other children in the family, starts stealing from her parents. And the, the, the pastor and his wife just go, come on. They drag her onto the plane, kicking and screaming. They get her to Disney World. And the father's putting her to bed that night, and he says, so, what, was, what, did, you, what did you love about Disney World? And this little girl looks at her, her new dad, and says, <laughs> I didn't get to come because I was good enough. I got to come because I'm yours. <laughs> I can actually never tell that story without feeling emotional. Let's look at Romans 8, verse 15. I'm reading from the Passion Translation simply because I've read these passages for 30 years and they've become very familiar and I want them to come a afresh in my mind, I want to grasp something else. And so, um, I love this translation. Uh, Romans 8 verse 15 says, you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, slavery, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. But you've received the spirit of full acceptance, sonship, enfolding you into the family of God. And you'll never feel orphaned, for as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved father, Abba, daddy God. The Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. And since we're his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures, for indeed we are heirs of God himself. And since we're joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. Do you hear the covenant language? 
Do you hear the Father making a way for us to forever know that we belong to him? We're his children. That he's put inside of us a spirit of sonship, of full acceptance. <laughs> that we no longer have this religious spirit of, that says, you're not good enough. Do you know what? That's the whole of the Old Testament. We realized we weren't good enough. So Jesus came and paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we would forever know that we're enfolded in his family, that we're loved, that we're his beloved child. And that all that he is, he gives to us. And all that he has, he shares with us. Because we are co-heirs with Christ. In Matthew 22, it says, Jesus is saying, the greatest commandment I give to you. This is it. This is the greatest thing. This is, this is, this is the first commandment that I want you to, to get. And it's love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Love him. See, we don't love him because we have to. (laughs) We love him because he first loved us, because he demonstrated what love looked like to us, because he did everything he possibly knew to cut a covenant with us to say, you belong. And so we get to spend the rest of our lives loving him with everything that we have, because that's our side of the covenant with him. He doesn't require all sorts of stuff. He says, just love me with everything that you are. And then, he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, once you grasp how much you're loved, and you allow him to change your identity to be the beloved, to know that you have a spirit of sonship (laughs) wherever you go, once you understand that sense of I'm his and he's mine, then he says, right, go and love someone as you love yourself. So if we don't love ourselves, I'm... Surprisingly, I'm the head of, uh, or me and my husband head up the, the pastoral care in this church, and this is one of the phrases I use the most, which doesn't sound very pastoral at all. But I say, when people come to me with, with various issues, I'll say to them, was it not enough? Was Jesus' sacrifice not enough for you to understand who you are and that you are loved? there's an opportunity for us to step in to love and covenant with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that requires us to love ourselves because that's what he thinks. And he's like, love me most. Love what I love. Guess what what he loves? You. (laughs) Love your neighbor as you love yourself. 
It's the second commandment. See, Jesus in John 17, just before he goes to be crucified, he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prays, I'm actually going to read a bit of it. Um, it says, my prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you've given them to me. So they bring me glory. See, even in that prayer that he's praying, he has this deep sense of belonging. He knows what, what people need. And he's imparting this deep sense of belonging if we understand what he's about to do. But then he goes on to pray. I pray, not just for the, the disciples that I have now, but for everyone who's going to believe in me. I pray that they will be one. You see, just before Jesus goes to die, he, he could have prayed anything, but he prayed, God, I want people to be in covenant with one another. <laughs> I pray that they'd be one, as we're one. As you're in, as, as you're in, the fa uh, as you're in me, he's praying to his father, Father, as you're in me, and Father, I'm in you. May they be in us that the world would believe. There's something about covenant love and belonging to God and to one another that Jesus prayed just before he died. Let's have a look at Romans uh, 12, just a bit further on in that book of, of Romans. 12 comes after 11. Verse four, it says, in the human body, there are many parts and organs, each with a unique function, and so it is in the body of Christ. For though we're many, we've all been mingled into one body in Christ. This means that we're all vitally joined to one another, yeah. with each contributing to the others. Yeah. Oh man, I wish I had more time. I want to like, I want to read the whole Bible to you, literally. <laughs> We're one body. When Jesus looks at his church, he looks at one body. Guess what? It's the, it's the bride of Christ. There's going to be a wedding. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is the engagement ring. It's the deposit saying, that you're, 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 you're going to be married to Jesus in heaven forever. And it's the bride of Christ coming together. And he looks and he goes, one body, that's my prayer, that they would be one. I had a, a friend in America who unfortunately broke her elbow. And uh, I don't know if anybody knows, but it's quite a bad break apparently when you break your el elbow because it's quite hard to fix together. And uh, so she went through the operation, she got it all knitted back together, it was all um, great, she had it in a sling to, to, whilst it mended. And then came the time for the physio that she needed in order to get her arm moving again properly, the way that it was designed to do. And so she started exercising and doing all of the things that the physio was saying. And unfortunately, she could move it to a point, it would get to a point, but then it was just stuck. It would not move any further than that. And so, she tried everything she knew, 
and uh, eventually they decided she was going to need another operation, so she went in to be operated on, and they put uh, the anaesthetic in to put her to sleep, and as soon as she was asleep, the arm just began to move freely. There was no restriction in the bone or any of the way that the bone had knitted together. There was nothing wrong with that elbow. So they brought her, her back round, and they said, there's nothing wrong with your elbow. And she went, there is, I can't move it. I cannot get it beyond this point. See, her body had been hurt. Her body had been broken in a place, and there was something about the fear of that pain, or the trauma of what had happened, or the shame of how she'd felt, I don't know, that was literally preventing her from moving it any further. Now, you could just say, ah, you don't need to deal with that pain, you don't need to, to deal with that, that regret or what you're feeling inside, because actually, you know, what difference does it really make? Well, the difference it makes is the, for the rest of the body. See, there's a hand attached to the elbow that wants to do a job, and probably wants to pick up that cup of tea over there, but it can't, because it can only get to this point. So the rest of the body has to kick in, and even if she, that hand were to be used, then it's like, how do I get it back up to my mouth? So what actually happens is this hand kicks in a whole lot more. And this hand starts to do the job that this hand's designed to do. And this hand begins probably to feel tired <laughs> and overworked. See, that lady needed to get over the pain that she'd felt when she broke her elbow so that the whole body could function in the way that it was designed because that one thing affected the whole way that her body moved. I just wonder whether, whether we've got stuck sometimes in relationships with one another, in those covenant relationships where we're designed to be one and to function as one body, whether we've actually been really hurt or traumatized at one point, and we have a certain amount of movement, but we get stuck. And you might be thinking, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm okay with that, I'm okay with just this movement, but it's affecting the rest of the body of Christ. We've talked about belonging to God. We've talked about being one in covenant with one another. One body is what it's supposed to look like. That, and I don't, I don't just mean this church, I mean as Christians. We're one body. Just like Simon was talking about then, there's, there's, there's a church in India. Guess what? We're one body with them. But what does it look like to belong to the church? Because I reckon there's a big difference between attending a church and belonging to a church. The only way I can describe it is it's almost like the difference between staying in a hotel and staying in a home. You know, in a hotel you go, they don't really know you, and they get, you get to sleep in that in that bed and it might feel great because you get up in the morning, you don't have to make the bed, you just get out. They, they come in, they change the sheets, they do everything for you. But you're not known. You don't have a role. You can't go and help yourself to the fridge in the night if you're hungry. You can't go into the kitchen and just make yourself a sandwich because you don't belong there. 
But in a home, you get to be, to, to be known. You get for them to see who you are, all of you, the strengths and the weaknesses. You get to have the privileges of being loved unconditionally and being able to help yourself to the fridge if you're hungry. <laughs> but guess what? You get a role as well. My kids often have the phrase chanted at them, you're welcome, <laughs> you're welcome, because they don't feel like taking the dog for a walk, they don't feel like putting their plates in the dishwasher, they don't feel like tidying their bedrooms, but guess what? You're welcome. <laughs> they have a role, because that's what family looks like, as they bring their ability to, to contribute to the family, and we bring ours, we get to create a home. <laughs> Just a thought. I have been thinking about what would it look like to be to almost kind of covenant language of, of that idea of like, what does it look like for us as a church to bring ourselves and for you to bring you? And I've written, um, what do I do with this? Press go. Oh, it's on. That's good. Um, I've, I've written a commitment, why is it not working? That one, yeah. And, and when we get our, our belonging documents, our things that we, we're gonna give to the whole church, this, this idea of belonging is in there because what we're trying to do in our church is to give you a sense of what does it look like to belong to the bay. So this is my idea of what it looks like to belong to the bay and as leaders we've talked about this and wrestled it out and have that sense of what would it look like for a church to, to, to commit to something and to ask you to commit to something. So you might notice it spells something. As a church we commit to believing in you to be all that you're called to be. When I say church, as a church, I'm talking about everybody that would consider themselves to be belonging in this church, okay? So I'm saying we want to commit to be believing in, in you as an individual to be all that you're called to be. We want to commit to encouraging you to live courageously. See, encouraging. There's that etymology thing again. We're giving you courage. We're not just encouraging you to, to live safely. We're encouraging you to live courageously. Is it? Oh, I see. He's not upset by that one. <laughs> as a church, we commit to loving you as you are, no matter what. As a church, we commit to oneness with you. It's this idea of bringing our strengths and weaknesses, it probably should say up there, as you bring yours. The reason I say that is because, do you remember when I talked about relationships? If you bring just your strengths, it's like you're bringing this. It's like you're not showing any gaps. But actually when you bring your strengths and your weaknesses, and somebody else brings their strengths and their weaknesses, there's, an, there's a connection that's able to happen at that point. Otherwise, you get this, and you, there isn't the connection. Anyway. As a church, we commit to nurturing you and discipling you to keep moving forward. 
we commit to nurturing and discipling. Yes, we have teaching up front. Yes, we want to make sure that we are equipping you with everything that you have. We're actually all called to, to be disciples and to disciple one another, to keep people moving forward, to nurture them with what they need. As a church, we commit to gathering together <laughs> for love, presence, and power. That's who we are. And we're committing to say this is really important when we get together. The idea of coming together is what we're committing to do for one another. In order for us to belong, we want to commit to all of these things to you. But we're going to require something of you to be in covenant with you, to have relationship with you in order for you to belong. What do we ask of you? I'm just going to ask Paula to come up and share a really quick testimony. Uh, microphone. There we go. This is Paula. Give it up for Paula. Um, I will make it quick. I, would, I wanted to just say that when we started coming here to the Bay two years ago, our family was going through a really difficult time. And it was kind of situation that was it was very hard to talk about and as a result I bottled everything up and and I struggled to feel known and um, sorry um, it's all good yeah <laughs> This is Paula being known. Look at that. But but I realized that I needed my heart. My heart felt like it was wilting, actually, because I came week after week and I got to meet lots of lovely people. Um, but I struggled to feel really known and to connect on any kind of a deep level. And um, it was. It was. <laughs> I believe that my heart was was feeling like that wilting thing because it was created to be known. God Himself created me and created my heart and our hearts to belong. And and so that was the struggle for me was I'm struggling to talk about this with anyone, but my heart is breaking. And so this feeling of isolation and loneliness was taking over. So, right, okay, I needed to do something about it. What is belonging? And for me, belonging is being known. It's connecting on a deeper level. It's beyond the superficial. It's more than just passing acquaintance as good as the the cup of tea is afterwards it's it's beyond that it's way more than that and it's me sharing a piece of my heart with someone giving you a piece of my heart and trusting you with it trusting you to value it and inviting you to do the same so that required something and so I, I had to, I knew what I had to do, and that was to step out and to open up to a few trusted people, people who I recognized as mothers and fathers in the church, 
and I went to them and it's risky it's risky because I thought what if they know what's what I'm really like what are they going to think of me they probably won't even like me but I went I went because I knew I need this connection and I went and talked to them and I opened up and you know what I felt heard and even now when those people look at me I'm, I'm really seen. I know I'm seen because they know what's going on. And they know the real me. And they still love me. And that's huge. That is massive. So, all that to say, I know I look around this room and I can see spiritual mams and dads all over the room. I also know there are other people here who are maybe feeling the way I was feeling, whose hearts are crying out for more connection. They want to be known. Maybe you're afraid. If you're the person who is feeling like that, I would say do the brave thing. Approach someone who you trust and share your heart with them. And if you're a mom or a dad, step up. Please step up. You are vital. You are needed. Draw alongside these people. Be the safe place that they need. That's good. Thank you so much. Yay. We ask you to commit to bring yourself. No one else can be you. Be real. You see, Paula couldn't belong because she couldn't bring her whole heart into this place because she was protecting it. She didn't want people to see what was really going on. And she brought herself to a couple of safe people and she was like, this is what I need. We ask you to commit to engaging with family, just like Paula was talking about being moms and dads, but knowing that you're a son or a daughter of the house. We ask you to commit to learning to love. See, it's a process. You'll never, ever get there until we actually look at the reality of seeing who he is. But it, because it's, there's so much, God is love. It's who he is. We'll never, ever get to that place of knowing it all in terms of love. So we ask you to commit to learning to love God, yourself, and others more and more and more. We ask you to commit to openness and obedience, <laughs> to seek first the kingdom of God, openness and obedience to God, to say yes to him, to remain open to, to the challenge of saying, hey, do you want to go to India? Because there's, there's part of my body over there that needs what you've got. <laughs> we ask you to commit to needing others. We're one body in community. This is the point when my son was like, mom, I get all the rest of it, I understand it, I just don't agree with this one point, needing others. And do you know why that is? Because it's countercultural. The world tells us that in order to be successful, we should be independent. It's an absolute lie. We were created to function together. We were created to need each other. This hand needs this elbow in order to function properly. 
And we buy into that lie of independence all the time. <laughs> it's seen as a strength, and actually independence is the greatest sin, in my opinion. It's what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. We want to be in relationship with God, and we want to be in relationship with one another, and we need one another in order to function correctly. And we ask you to give of your time, your talent, your tithes, and your offerings. Not because we're a really poor church and we just really need money. Not because nobody's actually doing anything in the church, but because to give comes with so much blessing. See, God says you reap what you sow. God says it's better to give than to receive. He knows what we actually receive as we give. And so he's saying, do you know how to be blessed? You need to give. Just like Simon was saying before, yes, give of your money. And that is one thing, whenever you say give, everybody goes, ooh, church is asking me to give money. Yes, church is asking you to give money, your tithes and your offerings, because that's what covenant relationship looks like. As I bring myself and, and, and who I am into this, and you bring yours, guess what? We get to be more than we could be. We get to do more than we could ever do alone if we kept our money to ourselves. We get to share that money and create something way bigger because we commit to sowing into something that's bigger. But it's more than just money. <laughs> we ask you to give of your hearts, like Paula gave of herself. We ask you to give of your time because this church doesn't um, function without people. <laughs> because you get to be blessed when you realize you have a role, when you realize that you're needed in this church, because as you sow into something, you get to receive an inheritance that you never even imagined. We want this place to be, or to have an awareness, every person in this house to have an awareness that they belong to God. He's done everything they can to be, in one, to, be, to be one with him, for us to be in Christ. We want everybody in this house to have an awareness that they belong to one another globally. As Christians, we're part of something massive, and it's called the Bride of Christ. And it's so exciting because there's going to be a wedding, and he's perfecting his bride to be glorious for that wedding day. And the Holy Spirit lives in us reminding us of who we are. And we invite you to step into a deeper sense of belonging to this house, to this church, to understand what it looks like as we bring ourselves to you. You get to bring yourselves, your strengths and your weaknesses, and that we can be one. This house can be one. We can be one in relationship that is way bigger than we realize. <laughs> Bring it on. Amen. Amen. Do you want to... Uh, sorry, Paul, you decide what we're going to do. I think you should. I should mention about tonight. Mention about tonight. Is that tonight. what you're going to say? Um, I think you should pray for us, Nick, and then we should just close. Um, but if you need to go and pick the kids up from upstairs, if you wouldn't mind doing that as well, that'd be fantastic. But, yeah, can you pray for us and close? And then we're back here at 6.30 tonight when we're going to be doing a bit more
on this and it's going to look a bit different. It's not yeah. just going to be a repeat, is it? Yeah, so, so I said last week that it, I'm not going to stand up and preach the same message tonight. Um, I'm actually um, going to create a space for us to encounter some of this, to encounter more of the belonging with God and belonging to one another and, and belonging um, to this church. So if you just want to respond to this message in a deeper way and just give God some space to actually do what he needs to do in your heart, then I invite you to come tonight. I just want you to play that song again. Uh, like, we can sing it when we're having tea and coffee. <laughs> okay, this is what I'll do. I'm going to use a prayer from Romans 12. So, there's actually there's so much of this that I wanted to read to you and I um, wasn't able to. So why don't you just decide you're going to read Romans 12 for a week <laughs> until you get, get it in your hearts. But Father, let the inner, inner movement of my heart, of our hearts, always be to love one another. Let us never play the role of an actor wearing a mask. Let us despise evil and embrace everything that is good and virtuous. Father, I pray that we would be devoted to tenderly loving our fellow believers as members of one family. Actually, do you just want to stand as members of one family? I feel like there's a response even in that prayer of just saying, God, would you do this in me? God, let us try to outdo one another in respect and honor of one another. Let's be enthusiastic to serve the Lord, keeping our passion towards him boiling hot. Let us radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit and let, us, let him fill you with excitement as you serve. Father, would you let this hope burst forth within us, releasing a continual joy. Would you let this hope burst forth within us, God, releasing a continual joy? Because when we understand love from you and from one another, God, <laughs> our hearts come alive. There's a joy that flows and affects everything that we do. Lord, let us take a constant interest in the needs of God's beloved people and respond by helping them <laughs> and eagerly welcoming people into our homes. God, we want to be a people that celebrate with those who celebrate and weep with those who grieve. We want to live happily together in a spirit of harmony as we're mindful of one another's worth. God, would you show us the ability to see one another with the worth that you see in that person. God, let us see in one another's hearts what you see and call it out of them, encouraging one another and believing in one another. Father, thank you that you call us to something that is bigger than ourselves. And we want to respond 
today to say, we want to get better at this. We want to step into something more about belonging to you and belonging to one another. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would stir our hearts. Stir our hearts, God, to long for more. To long for more so that we can belong and just be who we are. Father, I pray for those in this church that don't know mothers and fathers. I pray that they would dare, just like Paula dared, to step up to somebody and say, I want to be known by you. I want you to see who I really am because I need you in my life. And I bless the mothers and fathers in this church. God, I thank you for giving us such a rich atmosphere of mothers and fathers. And I pray that every mother and father in this house would understand the important role that they have, that they would begin to step up and look for the lost. They would look for the one that's hurting. They would look for the one that feels alone and they would sit with them and they would grieve with them and they would laugh with them and they would invite them into their home and they would love on them like they've never been loved before. And in doing so, God, they'd call out of one another that gold that you've put in. Lord, we want to belong. We want to belong to you. We want to belong to one another. And we're aware that you've done so much in this house already, but that there's more. And I pray you'd lead us into more. God, break the lies of society. Break the lies that have led us down an individual, uh, independent track. And God, give us a heart's cry that says, I need you. I need you to show up. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for how you stir our hearts to remind us of whose we are so that we can be who we are and we can invite others into who they are, God. Thank you. Holy Spirit, keep doing that. We love you. We love you. We love you, God. We love you, God. Help us to love one another. (laughs) In Jesus' name, amen.